hope means we can make a difference and nothing is going to come of the opposition to this wrongheaded decision unless companies and individuals get busy and get active. So what hope means is what we do can matter. From the MIT Sloan School of Management, this is Data Made to Matter. I'm Neil Hartman. In 2015, MIT Sloan professor John Sturman attended the Paris Climate Conference. The systems dynamics professor used data-based models to help build consensus around curbing greenhouse gas emissions and limiting global temperature rise. Recently, President Trump announced that he would not honor America's commitment to the agreement that came out of that conference, the Paris Climate Accord. Later this episode, we hear from John, post-announcement, about why he's still hopeful about the future of climate change. But first, we spoke with John about his field of system dynamics and why it's important for us to build and share database models that reflect real complexity. It's not enough just to have data and ways to sift through it. Everybody is making decisions on the basis of mental models. And those mental models we know from decades of research in psychology and system dynamics and sociology and many other fields are often woefully inadequate. People make basic errors in reasoning. They make basic errors in understanding even simple systems like how do you fill up a bathtub. And so then when we're presented with complex systems like a company in its market or a community, we tend to fall back on these very simple mental models. And that leads to strategies that fail. It leads to what we call policy resistance. And so what system dynamics is designed to do is to help executives, decision makers, everybody come to a deeper understanding of the system in which they're embedded so that they can make wiser decisions. And I think it's important that although we use computer models, we use uh, analytic techniques of, of all kinds, it's not really just about the computer modeling. It's a process of engagement, because if you're not changing the mental models, nothing's going to happen. Can you tell me more about how these database models inspire action? For most of the difficult challenges that we face today, whether it's what, sh what should the strategy of Boeing and Airbus be, or the auto industry, or what should real estate developers do uh, in terms of green buildings, or what should the country be doing about climate change, it's not possible to learn from experience, because the time delays are too long, the consequences of decisions are often irreversible, and the stakes are simply too high. So when you can't learn from experiment and you can't learn from experience, simulation is the only viable means to learn. How are you applying these models to the issue of climate change? This is a quintessential complex system where learning from experience is not viable. By the time we find out how badly climate change is really going to harm us, uh, it's just going to be too late. So what we have done working with Climate Interactive, which uh, is a nonprofit, nonpartisan think tank created by uh, colleagues of mine, many of whom are alums of the Sloan School or MIT, uh, we have developed a set of interactive climate simulation models. These models are specifically designed as complements to the large supercomputer-based models that the 
uh, research community uses to move the forefront of climate science ahead. Those models are essential for climate research, but they're also, and I mean this uh, with all respect to my colleagues who work on those models, they're quite useless for policymakers because they run on the largest supercomputer clusters in the world, and it can often take weeks or longer to do a single simulation. So if you're a negotiator for the United States in the, in the international climate negotiations and uh, a nation like India or China comes to the table with a new proposal, you can't wait weeks and months. You've got to respond immediately to that proposal. So what we have done is create a complementary set of tools, a model that behaves exactly like the large models, but runs in less than a second on an ordinary laptop. And because that model can run instantly on your laptop, is designed with an intuitive interface, allows you to change any of the core assumptions so you don't have to accept our assumptions, even though we have based the model on the best available peer-reviewed science, policymakers, negotiators, business leaders, government uh, folks, uh, educators, the media and the public have in fact been using these tools and gained uh, a lot of insight into the challenges that we face. So you've said that the challenge of climate change is actually no longer science, but rather the challenge is political and social. Uh, do you feel that these simulations that have been developed are in fact helping to cause political and social change? So you're quite right. Although there's always a need for further research into how the climate works, there's no longer any reasonable doubt that the climate is changing, that those changes are primarily caused by human activity, that the likely consequences if we don't cut global greenhouse gas emissions are, and I use this word very deliberately, likely to be catastrophic. So it's no longer a science issue. Science is not the bottleneck to action here. It is social, it is political, it is psychological. Well, one way to think about it, Neil, is imagine that in Paris, and I and our team from Climate Interactive, we were there using our models to support policymakers and engage with the media and so forth. Uh, imagine that in Paris, a perfect agreement had, had come out that would keep us under two degrees or even lower. What would happen when that agreement came back to Jakarta and New Delhi and Mexico City and Brasilia and Washington, D.C. for ratification? The answer is clear. It would be dead on arrival because there's simply not enough grassroots political support for the governments of those nations to implement the stronger policies that are needed. So that's where interactive simulations come in. And specifically what we've done is we've embedded the model in a role play simulation of the climate negotiations. We've used this here at MIT Sloan uh, extensively, but it's also used now all over the world. So uh, when we ran it in Paris at the climate conference, it was uh, in a pretty big room, uh, standing room only. It was very crowded and uh, there was no preparation. So first thing I did is I said, okay, who's here from the EU? Whole bunch of hands go up. And I said, great, today you're China. Go over here and start to think about your strategy. Who's here from China? Hands go up. Great, you're the United States today and so on. Uh, so we actually had a high school student from China playing the role of the uh, president of the United States and leading the U.S. delegation. It was really great. So they negotiate face-to-face -face with the other delegations, uh, and they then have to give a short 
speech to the plenary assembly outlining their commitment. What is their pledge to reduce the emissions of their nation going to be? After that, we take all their pledges and we immediately enter them into the C-ROADS model, our computer simulation model. And now people get immediate feedback on the likely consequences. And uh, it's quite interesting in Paris, as is typical, uh, people uh, who were at the climate conference and therefore perhaps more than most other people in the world wanted to limit warming to no more than two degrees C, they thought the pledges that they came up with would do that. But in fact, it led to three and a half C. So we shot right through that two degree barrier. And the result was uh, quite a lot of shock in the room. And then that motivated questions. Why did that happen? How did sea level rise so much? Why is the concentration of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, even with our reductions, still going up? That's the teaching moment. And the answers to those questions are then discovered by the participants with a little facilitation from us. And then we send them back for another round of negotiations. And when it works, as it did that day and most of the time does, without anybody on our side, without any teacher or authority figure telling people what to do, the group begins to realize that we're all in the same boat together on this. And so instead of the zero-sum distributive negotiation frame in which if you win, I must be losing, people began to realize that we share a common fate here and that it's in everyone's interests to cut emissions faster and more deeply. And so in negotiation theory terms, they shift to the integrative frame where we create common value together. And it gives people hope. I can sense your passion and your excitement about this simulation. And it leads me to another question because I know you've been uh, working on climate change and sustainability issues for a long time. Uh, and your students have sometimes referred to you as Dr. Doom um, for perhaps somewhat of a pessimistic view. Do you think that there is some evidence that the public is becoming more educated about some of the issues and, and solutions surrounding things like climate change? Yes, I do. And I have to say that although you're quite right, the students do uh, often call me Dr. Doom, I really don't like the nickname because uh, I think uh, I'm basically a, a pretty optimistic uh, person oriented towards making change. And in any case, I think hope is not a prediction. Hope is a choice. Hope is a stance. Hope is a position that I take that says we don't give up no matter what happens that seems discouraging in the world, we don't give up. We keep moving forward. For me personally, that's the only way I can live. Now, that's not to say I don't have days of discouragement. Of course I do. But uh, the way I like to think of it is um, I'm all in on sustainability in my professional life, in the research I do, in the teaching I do, and personally. When you read the climate science literature, as I've done for now many decades, every year the news gets worse and worse and worse because as we've learned more about the intricate feedbacks in the climate system, we're finding that the climate is less resilient than we thought it was. We're finding new mechanisms that can lead to potential tipping points and the possibility of runaway climate change. So that's 
a little discouraging. It's getting worse and worse. But on the economic and technology side, the news is getting better every day. Every day, it's getting cheaper to deploy wind, solar, efficiency. Every day, we find out that it's getting easier to do these things. Every day, we find out more and more people understand that the climate is changing. We recorded that conversation with John several weeks ago, but then something changed. The United States will withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord. On June 1st, President Trump announced that the U.S. is backing out of the 2015 Global Climate Agreement, which sets targets for curbing greenhouse gas emissions and limiting the rise in global temperatures. We brought John Sturman back in the studio to ask, what now? Let's talk first about the facts. What do the models show without the U.S. in the climate accord? Well, the president cited a statistic which he attributed to MIT uh, that the Paris Agreement would only reduce global warming by 0.2 degrees C. Right. Uh, that's incorrect. The actual number coming from not only our work here at MIT, but also the work of the Joint Program on the Science and Policy of Global Change is about one degree C. Mm -hmm. Now, that may not sound like a lot for a lot of your listeners, but it's actually a huge deal. Uh, one degree C or 1.8 Fahrenheit is just what's left between where we are now and the two degree limit that was articulated as the most warming we can tolerate mm -hmm. in the Paris Agreement. Uh, and at the peak of the last ice age, here in Cambridge, Massachusetts, there was a glacier a mile thick. Sea level was 400 feet lower than it is today. And global average temperatures were only 5 degrees C, 9 Fahrenheit, lower than they are today. So wow. one degree is quite a large deal. Absolutely. What does this mean for industry leaders and the business community? Huge numbers of companies, more than half the Fortune 500, and the number grows every day, along with Many states, over 80 cities as of right now, pledged to stay the course on their individual commitments to uh, meet or exceed the Paris climate targets. In some cases, companies like Google uh, and many others uh, have pledged uh, to become 100% renewably powered, in Google's case, this year. Uh, so the business community, other countries, states, cities, Communities all over the world have repudiated this decision as bad for our economy, bad for our health, bad for our lives. We talked earlier about how the issue is no longer scientific, but political and social. But the political challenge looks pretty intractable today. What's your prescription for hope now? Hope doesn't mean everything's going to be okay. Right. Hope means we can make a difference and nothing is going to come of the opposition to this wrongheaded decision that harms the people of this country and around the world unless companies and individuals get busy and get active. So what hope means is what we do can matter, uh, but then we have to do it. Mm -hmm. So that means speaking out, talking to your friends, talking to your peers in your organizations, getting the facts, not the alternative facts, 
using data, using analytics, and then taking action based upon that evidence. We certainly heard immediately from a number of CEOs, from mayors, from governors of different states. Are you optimistic that what we've been hearing immediately after the announcement can continue into real activism? I certainly hope so. Uh, and whether it does depends on whether folks listening to this and folks all around the country and the world actually take some of their dismay and anger over this uh, harmful decision and get out there and start start taking action. Nobody's going to do this for us. We have to take responsibility. You've taken your climate simulation to classrooms, to the Paris Climate Conference itself. Is the next stop the White House? If we're asked, uh, we will answer that call. This is not a partisan issue. It's an issue that affects everybody, no matter where they are on the political spectrum. And uh, we stand ready to help anyone who has a serious interest in discovering for themselves what the science says, how the climate works, what the risks are. So, John, what can people do right now to find out more about how we can stay focused on climate change? Well, for one thing, folks should go to the uh, project website, climateinteractive.org. You can go to my MIT website. You'll see a lot of papers and other resources there. Feel free to reach out to us. We'd be happy to help. John, thank you very much. This has been a very enlightening conversation, and we appreciate your insights. Thank you, Neil. John Sturman is the J.W. Forrester Professor of Management and Director of the MIT Sloan Sustainability Initiative. You can try John's climate simulation models for yourself at climateinteractive.org. Data Made to Matter is a production of the MIT Sloan School of Management. We are committed to bringing together MIT's intellectual resources to help managers invent the future. You can learn more at sloan.mit.edu. If you like our show, please subscribe. You can leave us ratings, comments, and questions on iTunes. I'm Neil Hartman. Join us next time for Data Made to Matter.